I mean, even if you look at like church law, you know, it, it actually specifically says a, a, a priest gets a month of vacation each year. You oh, know, wow. that's uh-huh. actually like, there are a lot of other things that are stipulated there too. Right. But that's, that's one among a great many. Welcome to On Arrival, the Traveler's Podcast. We're your hosts, KT and Jordan. Throughout our 20s, we've lived and traveled all around the world and fell in love with exploring new cultures. Here at On Arrival, we interview some of the world's most eccentric travelers to hear their original and authentic stories. We hope this show inspires you to take your next trip. And that when you land, you have a game plan. On Arrival. Apparently, priests go on ski vacations. Who knew? Today's guest, Father Zach Maybe, is an avid traveler, and he does it all during his paid time off as a Catholic priest. Jordan and I met him during his studies in Italy. Funny enough, he has Michigan roots just like us. He talks to us about why he considers Rome his second home, life in London, and his travels all around Europe. This episode is sure to spark some Italian wanderlust. Enjoy. Are you ready to do your intro? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm okay. Ready. <laughs> Today's guest is a Catholic priest of the Diocese of Lansing, Michigan. His formation and studies have taken him to a number of noteworthy destinations, including Rome, Italy, and London of the United Kingdom. He is currently completing his doctorate in philosophy and will begin teaching this fall at Sacred Heart's major seminary in Detroit, an all-around interesting and introspective person and a good friend of mine. I'd like to introduce today's guest, Father Zach Maybe. Father Zach, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time since we've seen you. I think the last time, for me at least, was in Rome when you were studying at the Pontifical North American College back in, what year was that? Bravo. Good job. <laughs> pronunciation. Yeah, that was 20, 2014, 2015. Yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. I tell people often that the, the North American College is actually one of my favorite places in Rome. It's like this quiet little oasis in the middle mm-hmm. of like this buzzing city and the one thing that I'll never forget is when you took us up to the top of of the building and we just had this picturesque view of Rome mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and just to like put it into context this was my first time out of the country right right <laughs> it's okay. crazy to say that but yeah. looking back 7 years later but that was the first time that I was like oh my gosh wow it was amazing I, I love being able to host you guys there. And that became something we were used to, you know, just uh, having yeah. people yeah. in there. And, and like you said, it's it's a really prized kind of piece of real estate because it's right there on the Janiculum Hill, which kind of just looks down basically on Vatican City and St. Peter's Square. And that was kind of the consensus that that roof, rooftop view there was one of the best you could get in the city. So, um, yeah. Pretty nice to be able to live there and just take that in any any night that you wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would have been really pretty at nighttime. So without fail, we ask all of our guests this question. And my first question is, what is your most memorable travel experience? I ended up spending five years altogether in Rome studying. I was there for four years during when you guys visited. And then I went back for a fifth year after being home for a couple of years. And then I spent two years in the UK finishing some further studies. I did get to do uh, a lot of traveling amidst those two stops, yeah. you know, and I yeah. visited a lot of beautiful and, and wonderful places. I was thinking of it a bit in preparation for this, whether I, I sort of had a, a clear favorite or one that stood out to me most. I loved so many places that I that I visited, so... Mm-hmm. I think if there's one sort of trip that really stood out to me as maybe kind of extra special was one year I got to go with a classmate who was from Chicago, but both of his parents were born in Jordan. And so he took a group of us one year for Christmas to Jordan. And we stayed with his family there and we got to celebrate Christmas there wow. with a relatively 
quite small Christian community there. So that that was one that really stood out to me as I look back on things, being able to go to yeah. Jordan, to go to the Middle East for yeah. Christmas that one year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. I can imagine. It. It's, yeah. it's those ones that are not, are kind of off the, the normal path that yeah. kind of stand out, you know? That's right. I mean, and it, it kind of had some peculiar dimensions to it that really made it extra yeah. special. And the people too. I mean, you mentioned Indeed. your friends and the, and the people, you know, they always make that trip that much more special. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So as we dive in here, tell us a little bit more about your upbringing. We don't have to go like deep into it, but just tell us about your upbringing, where your life is taking you and more specifically, what brought you to ministry? I'm one of two boys. I've got a brother who it turns out is also a priest. I can, <laughs> can kind of rope that in a little bit as I go here. But my parents are both from central Ohio. I was born in Toledo, Ohio. Shortly after I was born, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and we lived there for about 14 years. So I was brought up mm-hmm. there effectively. We moved back to Ohio like right as I was starting high school. And I ended up going to an all-boys Jesuit high school. You know, uh, yeah. as you St. John's. St. John's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Toledo. And we used to play U of D, of course. Yeah. You know? and so I went to St. John's. We were we were Lutheran growing up, not like, you know, in a particularly devout way or anything. But we kind of stopped practicing regularly as Lutherans when I got into high school. But I, I just took well, very well to the St. John's experience, you know, the study, yeah. the athletics, the, the ministry aspects. But I would say in particular, there were a couple of the older Jesuits there who had a pretty big impact on me, mm-hmm. were kind of like mentor figures to me. And one of them started like a group for new transfer students because we moved back and I started freshman year a little bit late. So he was kind of looking out for some of us who had moved into the school. And so they, and this one in particular, just kind of had a a pretty profound impact on me. And I remember thinking like when I was partway through my time there that I might like to become a Jesuit someday. Yeah. But I wasn't a Catholic even. So, I mean, it wasn't really a practical One step at a time. (laughs) But I remember it just kind of striking me. And so I, you know, I I finished up there. I went to U of M in Ann Arbor for my undergraduate. Didn't know really what I wanted to study or do all that well. I ended up, I like to write a lot. And I was interested in politics and ideas and different things. So I ended up really taking a liking to philosophy. And so I studied philosophy as well as linguistics as an undergraduate there. And for the um, Michigan Daily. Yeah, we found one of your articles from the Michigan Daily from like 2004. And the the accompanying headshot. Yeah, that's right. There's there's a few (laughs) floating around out there. Yeah, I wrote wrote film reviews for the Michigan Daily Mm. while I was there. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I really took to philosophy in particular. And I, I thought for a while that I maybe wanted to you know, go do graduate studies in philosophy. But I, I also, I think on, a, on account of my, you know, my experience at the Jesuit high school and some other things, I think I had a sense that I wanted to keep my faith as an important aspect of my life. But, you know, I wasn't altogether sure how I was going to do that. And I ended up getting involved with a, a, a Christian student group while I was at U of M and, and kind of along the way, you know, started thinking I might like to find a church to call home. And so I had the the Catholic high school experience and these priests who had impacted me in a particular way. And in my studies, I was kind of getting interested in the whole tradition of philosophy and theology, which tends to have a very kind of Catholic edge to it. Mm-hmm. And I had a number of friends who were Catholics. So anyway, long story short, eventually I decided to enter the church and uh, become a Catholic while I was in college. And so happened there were um, just two really good kind of vibrant young priests in the area when I decided to do that. And, you know, I kind of just started seeing what their life was like and getting to know them and that sort of thing. And I think it just kind of hit me like, I could see myself doing this, you know? Yeah. And so the, the idea kind of caught me initially, and then I started thinking about it more and praying about it more, and it all just kind of developed from there and grew out of there. So I ended up doing seven years of study in the seminary to become a priest, and that right that took me to three different places. So I began here in Detroit at Sacred Heart Seminary, and then I did mm-hmm. a couple years at 
Catholic University in Washington, D.C. at Theological College, which is the seminary there. And then I did my theology studies over in Rome at, at the Pontifical North American College, as you guys were mentioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, after I was ordained, I think partly since I had this background in philosophy, my bishop asked me to complete my doctorate in it so that I could teach at the seminary. Once I was ordained in 2015, I worked for a couple years in some of our churches in Flint. And then I went back uh, to Rome to finish this one theology degree, a licentiate, as they call it. And then I shifted gears and it's a little bit of a long story, but I found a very suitable advisor and the time frame was very workable for their program uh, over in the UK. So I was in Reading at the University of Reading, which is okay. just outside of London. Okay, okay nice. So I, I stayed there for a couple of years. I lived at a parish in, in the city and helped them with ministry and some things mm-hmm. and, uh, and was just working on this thesis all the while. That's really interesting. Well, your your faith is inspiring. And it's interesting to me that you were in Toledo because that's like 20 minutes from where I grew up. I grew up in Dundee. Oh, right. And- My parents nowadays live kind of kind of right between like Celine and Milan. So like two okay. exits up the road from Dundee, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Small yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember, you know, you mentioned being in Rome and you had, a, there was a priest that was like, above you. Yeah. So I I can't remember. I I think I remember how the connection happened. And that was, so there's a priest named Jerry Vinke. He's now Bishop Jerry Vinke of the Salina diocese in Kansas. He's, He's a priest of the Lansing diocese, my diocese. He had been sent over to the North American college in Rome to work as a spiritual director. So he was kind of advising Mm -hmm. guys in their prayer and spiritual Mm -hmm. life while they were in seminary. As I remember it, at least, he was pretty good friends with Coach Beeline. That's, yeah, that's what I thought it was. Yeah. So I think he had been catching up with Coach Beeline, and Coach Beeline mentioned to him that you, Jordan, were coming over to Rome to play. And he was like, oh, hey, you know, I can, I can put all you guys in touch and happen. So I think that's yeah. what, what happened. And then I remember, I think maybe I reached out to you or he reached out to you and we had you over yeah. for brunch. At the seminary. Yes. That was just getting that to was that. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts about yeah, living in Rome. Yeah. Sunday mass, followed by Sunday yeah, brunch. With American breakfast. American breakfast. <laughs> so American breakfast is pretty hard to come by outside of, you know, America. It is, I know. <laughs> so my first year away from home, being able to come and have mass with, with you guys and then have brunch at the at the college. American brunch, but with also just with a great group of people Mm -hmm. and just have great conversation, intellectual and spiritual conversations. And Mm -hmm. that was that was one of my favorite things about living there. And it wasn't just you that got to experience it. My mom and my aunt and my Canadian cousins came over. I think they all went. (laughs) And then that, that year I was going back and forth between Rome and Michigan I wasn't, you know, able to be there 100% of the time with Jordan. So I think my mom got to go maybe twice or something. She got to experience it a little bit more than me. We we always loved being able to host like that, you know, and, and you guys especially. But I know I, I, I always look forward to having you over, Jordan. No, it was great. You know, I mean, just for us, you're in this house of, you know, in, in, in the case of the seminary there, where I am now is a bit smaller. Here we've got, I want to say, maybe about 100 or 120 guys in the program. I mean, there we had like 250 or so from all over the States yeah. and even some Australians yeah. and some Canadians. And it it was great, you know, but it was nice if you could sort of welcome people there and, you know, have some some kind of fresh company. Yeah. I mean, we we completely relate because, like, we live over there Mm -hmm. and we're like, you know, we welcome all visitors because it's like. Because you you get sick of me. Is that what you're trying to say? (laughs) Never. I'd never say that. No. I mean, but it's nice. It is nice to get to share that with people, too, to share. You're Mm -hmm. living this, like, really amazing experience and it's cool but when you get to share it with people it makes it that much better too I, I feel like so i'm curious so you go to the college at that point had you taken any major trips outside of the united states so actually before i went to the seminary my dad actually took me on a trip to rome he kind of wow. yeah he did it as a little kind of you wow. know 
let's go see corporate headquarters before you sign on sort of thing. Okay. So that right. was great. I'm sure I, you want to do gonna, this. It's a recruiting yeah, trip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he, he and I took a trip over there. So I had been there. I had been to Mexico, but yeah. I really hadn't, I hadn't really done any international travel outside mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Was it, was there any shock for you, like in living somewhere else? Yeah, you know, I mean, it was it was something. I mean, there was definitely kind of some processing initially because you you know the way they had the program set up there was kind of unless your you know your diocese or your bishop had made sort of special provision, you were kind of supposed to stay there for two years straight without going home. Right. So the idea was like you know kind of be there, get used to things, learn the language better. But so some guys did get sort of special permission to return home, but, but I was one that just did the two years straight there. So that first Mm -hmm. summer, you you know, you were over there and you were kind of asked to just find something to do that first summer, whether it was like sort of charitable work or language study or what have you. So First of all, when we moved over there, we moved in the summertime and they had us uh, do like an intensive Italian course when we got there. So I arrived there there in July of 2011 and I did like six weeks in Assisi, Italy, Mm -hmm. my Italian, you know, because we were going to take courses in the fall in Italian. So we had to, you know, have it up to a certain standard. Right. I, I did an intensive course for six weeks in Assisi and then came back to the seminary, kind of got settled there. And then we just started going to course, you know, coursework in Italian full first year. And, you know, you kind of get in the rhythm of things and it moves pretty quickly. I got to take like a Christmas trip with some guys. So I think we went and stayed like at like this really historic monastery in Switzerland for Christmas mm-hmm. the first year. And oh, then I think we also nice. went to like Ireland for New Year's. Did the second semester, and then I got to go with a couple of my friends who are priests in Texas nowadays. We went to Spain the first summer. We went to wow. Avila, like if you know, you know, Saint Teresa of Avila, mm-hmm. for instance. We went there, you know, which is kind of a lot like Assisi, kind of this small, medieval feeling hillside mm-hmm. town. And yeah. we did a, a course in Spanish there, kind of in Spanish and theology. Oh, that was probably confusing because Spanish and Italian <laughs> are so similar. You shouldn't have done that. Bit, I think it was a little bit frustrating at points because I had done Spanish previously. Okay. And then it was like I was kind of I kind of shifted gears to Italian. Yeah. yeah. And I hadn't really had a lot of opportunities to kind of keep my Spanish fresh, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So it was kind of, yeah, there was a little bit of kind of rust to shake off and a little bit of frustration to get through, but it, but it was still great. I mean, Avila was a great place to be and I had a really good time and stay there. So that was that first summer, you know, and then in the course of things being there, I mean, there were, there were a lot of opportunities to take little trips and outings. I mean, they would give us, they would give us kind of like one free weekend per month. Mm-hmm. which was kind of dubbed a travel weekend. Mm-hmm. So we were able basically to kind of, you know, get up and, and, and go take trips, different places. I mean, there were kind of a few areas they, they kind of wanted special permission for us to visit, but basically, I mean, you kind of could go you had free kind of anywhere in Europe, you know, even sort of Northern Africa in some cases. It was, yeah, it was, it was great. And I, and I, I really did. I mean, I, I tried pretty diligently, you know, though I was, though I was working on a pretty shoelace budget, you know, right, to kind of avail myself of those opportunities and and, and go different places. And, and that's what it's all about. It. Yeah, taking advantage of the time that you have. So what I'm curious, like what some what are some of those weekend travel weekends weekend that, getaways. Kind of, that stand out? <laughs> you know, I think I did a couple overall over the course of the four or five years, like but but to London had yeah. one, one, you know, really good memorable outing with some buddies to yeah. London. Paris, kind of Munich and surrounding areas, nice. Barcelona. Yeah. You know, a, a lot, I, I think for a lot of those, we would tend to, you know, go to kind of, you know, bigger, more important cities, kind of <laughs> hubs, and, and sort of do it that way. Just a few other examples, Prague, for instance, or. Yeah. If you want to see the world, join the, join the, the clergy. That's, that's, that's the secret. Most people don't know that. It, yeah. Well, now my 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 experience is is 
still kind of unique among those ranks, how many places I've been able to go as part of this, you know, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm very grateful for all of it, you know, and like I said, I, I've really tried to make the most of the opportunities, but it is true. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon. And I would say maybe, especially with respect to like, you know, other career or vocational choices. I mean, you do, I mean, maybe, maybe it's not unlike sort of the, the military to a degree, but you, right. you kind of, you know, you can get sent to different places and sometimes they might need you to do further studies or whatever. And yeah, yeah a lot of move around. A lot of interesting opportunities can can emerge with that, you know? Yeah. You might only be beat by the military and professional sports maybe move yeah, around exactly. a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys you guys had a few a few more interesting stops, you know, in a sense that I did a lot. But it Man. sounds like in terms of the side visits and stuff, you know, we yeah. we had a pretty uh Right. Pretty sort of comparable experience, at least compared yeah. to a lot of people, you know. You're living that that life the lifestyle we, we love to hear about here at yeah. on arrival. Just love to hear about you taking advantage of all the opportunities for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not everyone that joins the clergy gets placed in Rome. How did that happen for you? How'd you get so lucky? <laughs> yeah, I mean that it, there there's there's a little bit of a just kind of up in the air nature to these things. So I mean if you go so you know, so I, I'm a priest of the Lansing Diocese. So I am, yeah, I'm a diocesan or a, a secular priest, as they call it, rather than like a religious priest. So I'm not, I'm not with a community like the Jesuits or the Franciscans or something like that, but I'm affiliated with this diocese. And so I'm, I'm under the bishop of this diocese. But so if you go to, if, if you go to study for a diocese, they'll they'll send you to to, to go to seminary somewhere, you know, and, yeah. and and different places have different arrangements and so mm-hmm. on. We're the neighboring diocese to the Detroit Archdiocese, which is where the seminary is here. So, and we've got a kind of long-standing relationship with the seminary here. So, I, I mean, that's kind of in a sense how I ended up starting here. I did the the stop in DC because since I already had this background in philosophy, which a lot of guys don't, the bishop had me go there to do my master's in philosophy along the way. And then, you know, the, the doctorate was a kind of follow up on that. So that's how I ended up going there for part of my journey. Mm-hmm. As far as Rome goes, I mean, it's, it's actually, if, especially if you look at kind of the church more broadly or universally, it's actually not terribly uncommon for a, a student in formation or a priest, once they're already ordained a priest, to to do some sort of stint in Rome. You know, like one of my classmates, one of the guys I was ordained with, he he got sent back to study like canon law or church law further. Mm-hmm. And so he did several years in Rome for that, you know. He wasn't with me as part of his priestly formation in Rome, but he got to do it a few years after. So there are lots from, you know, lots of guys there, you know, there are sisters and women religious too, who study in Rome. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's not actually a a terribly uncommon thing, but it it kind of, you know, it just depends a little bit on your circumstances and who your bishop is and, you know, whether he wants to send people to study there. Yeah, that makes sense. um, and, And a lot of times it just, a big part of it is kind of, you know, if, if he himself studied there or if, if, you know, a lot of times where, where you're sent for seminary will be somewhat reflective of just kind of what his connections are, what the diocese's connections are, you know, if they have Mm -hmm. a relationship with a particular seminary. So there are kind of a lot of variables. I think probably often there's been a tendency to, to send guys there who, who do well academically and who also maybe are, good with languages or better with languages. I have to ask, how is your Italian now? <laughs> that was my next question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it, it's it's interesting, like with Italian and Spanish, I mean, I, I had these chances to kind of work on both a decent bit. But, you know, it's been tricky. Like, I mean, when I came back from studying in Italy, for instance, I basically have had no no yeah. opportunities regularly to use it. Or and that's on. what it is. I've been learning Italian for years. <laughs> but it's like when it. I when I stop, you know, the lessons and I have no one to practice with, I start to lose it. And then I'm going back and it's just this long 
repetitive process. Yeah, it's tricky. So, you know, I would, the way I usually describe both my Italian and my Spanish is as serviceable, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. I can, I can get around, you know, fine and do what I need to do. I can, you know, order food, interact with people well enough just to say that I'm fluent might be a tad generous, you know? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's always hard. That verbiage is, yeah, like Jordan, I will say like, oh, he's, he's fluent in French and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I, mean, I, studied, <laughs> I studied French at UAD and then spent the first year in Italy. And I was actually, by the time I left Italy, I was I would have said I was serviceable in Italian. Yeah, you know, I could order yeah. and very basic conversation just from like living in it, you know, because Italian I found was pretty easy to learn because it's very consistent. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, it's exactly that. Then after next year was living in France. And like, I just got to really thrive because I was just like talking to my mm-hmm. teammates and it was just like, it was easy. Well, then from then on, it was like Greece, Slovenia, Turkey, Russia. And it was right. just like, it was just like, I just kind of. the Every year it was going down, yeah, down, the enthusiasm down. enthusiasm was know? not not there as much we did well yeah. with basic greetings and food in those yeah. countries but uh, yeah at the beginning you were much more invested in the language yeah once you start getting into slavic and you know you know obviously greek and turkish but then slavic languages and everything it's like it's just a whole different ball game <laughs> yeah there's a whole whole new set of challenges with yeah. those. so it wouldn't be an on arrival episode if we didn't talk about food at least for a second so my yeah. question is, <laughs> what is your favorite restaurant in Rome or your favorite thing that you would eat when you were there? Yeah, you know, I, I did. I sort of mold that over a little bit. I was trying to think if like I had like a favorite restaurant and I, I couldn't think of one that like stood out for me as like a, a clear or obvious favorite. Uh huh. Yeah, there were a number of ones that that I liked and that were kind of dear to me in different yeah. ways. I do. I do really love Italian food. I mean, I would put I would put Italian cuisine up there against just about just about any other type. You know, agree, hundred percent. I, you know, I I tended not to be quite as fond. I would probably give you know like the French the the tip of the hat as regards like mm-hmm. desserts and pastries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as far as like the the first few courses go, you know, I I yeah. really do love Italian food. Italians definitely got like the the dinner part handled, but the, French, <laughs> the main course. The French desserts, though, are, yeah. Are, yeah. I, I I would agree. I would agree. Among things I really like there, you know, eating pasta in in Italy is just a different experience than eating here. As as you guys know, I mean, it's just not. It's really not comparable, you know. Yeah, and a funny little tidbit here is I I was Miss Michigan at the time when he was playing mm-hmm. in, in Rome. And I swear when I came over, I was here. How many weeks was I in Rome? Two weeks, maybe three Two and weeks. And I came back 10 pounds heavier. There's no doubt yeah. because every meal I was eating pizza and pasta and cannolis and gelato. And I just was going all out. <laughs> yeah, but it's not it's just different. I, I've tried a few different approaches over the last number of years with some sort of like different gimmicky dieting, you know, but mm-hmm. I, I partly sort of launched into all that because like at the college there, I mean, they would serve us like a full Italian spread every day, you know, yeah. wow. like at lunch specifically. So, you know, obviously a good bit more than like your average Italian would be eating, but, but we would have like, you know, bread, salad, pasta, a meat, a vegetable, wine, yeah. dessert. And you know, I'm a big guy and, and yeah. we would, we would, I'm about six, nine, actually. I yeah. actually was going <laughs> to ask notice. you that. We have, we saw this photo. It was from his ordination, right? Yeah. And it's funny because he's standing on a lower step than everyone else. And he's just <laughs> as tall as a back row. We'll have to post yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so, you know, and we would walk about 25, 30 minutes to class one way. So you're walking through the city of Rome, you know, you're studying all morning, you know, you come back and that full Italian lunch can be kind of pretty comforting, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but I just found like I was, so I was just like eating that entire thing, you know, like day in, day out to start. And I just found like, I would do that and I would need to like sleep for two hours oh, afterwards. Yeah. Like even after I slept for two hours, I still wouldn't feel like exercising <laughs> and <laughs> So I, I, I decided after a while, I was like, all right, I need to kind of pace myself with some of this stuff a little bit better. But obviously, sort of Italian pastas. I grew to like a lot of the 
a lot of the the secondi or the the main dishes, yeah. different kinds of fish, some of the the salt and boca in Rome, for instance, or some of the different kind of local dishes like that. I found a lot of one thing I really liked in Italian cooking was I found, you know, they they tend to do a lot like kind of more with less, you know. So yeah. I was just amazed at how how much they could sort of bring life out of things yes. with like a lemon wedge, salt, mm-hmm. pepper, and mm-hmm. olive oil, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And it was like with your second, a, a lot of times, you know, just having like different kinds of like roasted vegetables, for instance, yeah. you know, whether mm-hmm. it was eggplant or different seasonal vegetables. I just thought a lot of times like things like that, they could just make things so pleasant and lovely with yeah. so little, you yeah. know? As far as maybe one thought about particular dishes, one thing I really grew to love that you really have you really have to look hard for over here. In fact, I don't know if I've ever had it stateside. Was the wild boar, oh. the chingale, as they call it? And you know, you could get if you went up kind of you know into kind of central Italy, you know, Tuscany and, and sort yeah. of surrounding areas. You know, you could get like a chingale, like sausage or salami, often. But I found like there were places that would do kind of like a ragu sauce, you know, or kind of a meat sauce with the pasta with the chingale. Mm. Oh, that sounds And I just delicious. thought that was spot on. Uh, that was, we'll that was that, a big favorite of mine. Put that, put that on our list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I think one thing I, I will say is you said, you know, you have a hard time thinking of like clear cut favorite restaurant. You know, that might sound like a indictment in some ways, but I think that is actually a compliment, a compliment mm-hmm. because it. Yeah. It, one of the things we found about living in Rome was like you could duck off into like some side street and like into some family owned restaurant and it'd be just amazing food. That's right. No, that that was the thing. I mean, there were there were obviously I mean, it's it's the risk you run there is the risk you run in Paris and some other places like that where, you know, you do you do have to kind of have your guard up a little bit for some of the more tourist trap places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, the North American college is kind of up on that hill on its mm-hmm. own. When I was back studying, there's another house for American priests. They have their, they're called the Casa Sancta Maria, which is kind of right in the heart of the city, kind of right by the Colosseum and the Trevi Fountain. Mm-hmm. And even there, it was like, so there you're kind of right in right this in really it, dense part of, part of Rome. Yeah. There are just so many little side streets, so many little places, these just little kind of boutique or ma and pa kind of eateries. Yeah. And you could just find some really great stuff. Yeah. And that, and that was, I mean, that was a great part of Rome in general. You know, it's such a, the way I've described it to people often, it's such a kind of dense city, you know? So it's yeah. like, you might in the course of a few blocks have like just, you know, several of these churches that are just yes. like world renowned, you know, yeah. and, and sort of famous for all these really interesting historical reasons, or just a series of restaurants like this or, or bakeries or you know, and, and, and it was the case that you'd kind of get get your normal route where you'd walk and do different things in the city. But sometimes you just kind of veer off it by like a block and then you, yeah. you'd find these new places. And it was yeah. so, yeah, I, I always enjoyed that about Rome and just exploring it. And, it's full, know, of, mm-hmm. full of life and history, full yeah. of history. Yeah. That reminds you know. me of when we were eating close to the Coliseum and I said, oh, my gosh, they have fetti- fettuccine Alfredo here. And the server says, yeah, we put that here because it's just for tourists. You know, that's not really yeah, exactly. an Italian dish. <laughs> I was right. like, oh. <laughs> she was heartbroken. Her, her, her childhood it was alive. I was even, yeah, I was out with a priest friend in, in Michigan here, kind of on the western part of the state the other night. We were having dinner and we went to an Italian place out there. And, and actually, you know, all things considered for an American Italian place, it was actually kind of surprisingly authentic in some key ways and it was kind of a you know a simple ma and pa kind of place again but not not sort of a a very sort of glitzy one but i was even noticing how they had like you know meatballs offered on the side with your spaghetti you know and that's like one of those things that sort of you know americans are very used to and you know in italy you know you you'd often almost get meatballs more as like a starter plate on Mm -hmm. their own you know as you guys probably know yeah. Here it's like, well, we're used to having meatballs with our spaghetti. Right. So you, you, know, you, yeah. you work funny. with that. It's but. definitely different. Did you ever have a chance to dine at the restaurant was really close to the Vatican? It was called Osteria de Pontifici. Yes, I think I said I that did. right. 
So funny enough, I was thinking about this a little bit more. I'm almost sure that that's the restaurant where, so I was ordained a deacon in Rome, but then a priest back here in the States. Mm -hmm. I'm almost sure that's the restaurant we went to for the kind of the celebratory dinner Uh. after my diaconate ordination. So it was like my you know, my parents and my brother were yeah. there and a few other friends kind of, I know from the area here and some of the, the religious sisters and stuff. So I'm, I'm pretty sure we went there for that dinner and I, I remember enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. Nice that was one of our little favorites. It was our favorite. Yeah. And they have for those listeners that are planning a trip to Rome, they had some really good items on the menu just to mention a few. These are really memorable. I mean, this was seven years ago. So they had the, the Quattro Formaggio pizza was really good there. The cannolis were to die for, and also the pasta alla papalina, which is a pasta that was made for Pope Pius Pius the Twelfth. Yes, so I thought that was a really interesting story. Right, very cool. Yeah, no, that's a that's a neat little spot. Pope history there too mm-hmm. inside. Yeah, and they've got yeah they've got sort of the the wall of papal portraits yeah. and all that. There really are just so many delightful places to That's, eat yeah. in Rome. I mean, so I, many gems. I think you know as as you guys were kind of echoing. I think the main thing I would suggest that people do is just depending on where you are, just kind of take a little bit of extra time to kind yeah. of do some homework. You know, one thing some of my uh, buddies and I would sometimes do if we were trying to find a place, we would even try to go on like the, you know, like the Italian version of TripAdvisor, mm. uh-huh. you know, just to kind of get that sense of like, I mean, if, and yeah, I think nowadays if you go on there, you can have Google translate it for you or whatever. Right. But, but that, that way you're just kind of getting a little bit more of a kind of locals take on the place. Right. That's no, a good idea. For sure. If you don't have Italian friends, yeah, yeah, or if you got Italian friends, one of my one of my favorite places to eat in Rome was actually with a, and one of my Italian friends' families. I had an Italian teammate. Shout out to Ray. Yeah, and they had a farm, and it, yeah, we went right. out there one time, and we had fresh lamb chops. Poor baby lamb. I know. I think my aunt went. My aunt was out there too, but and like, she was vegan, right? And yeah, she, she was a little mortified. <laughs> But fresh lamb, fresh pasta. They made fresh like limoncello and other fruit yep. liqueurs. I mean, there was some. They they gave me a couple little liqueurs to take home, and it was special. Yeah, it was it was very special. Your mom got to go, but you missed out. I know. I was busy that yeah. day. <laughs> I loved going. One thing I, I did this a few times my first year. We would kind of a few times we would kind of scope out these little like hillside towns again, like in Assisi. I mean, Assisi is a little bit you know, heavy on the, on the tourist traffic, you know, as, as beautiful and as just absolutely special as it is. So I remember like we went, my first year we went to like Cortona for instance, a few times. Mm -hmm. And that was just another, just like, just very pretty kind of quiet hillside town. You know, you could take the train in easily and, you know, you just get kind of a quiet place to stay. There's a nice cool breeze up there. Just some some very low key local eateries, you know, yeah. pretty churches. And yeah. so I just love doing little sort of getaways like that. Yeah. Another thing was, I don't know if you guys did this, the like the agriturismo, you know, as they call them, which are kind of like these basically like farm, kind of like mm. upgraded farm guest houses, you know, oh, where you can go cool. and stay kind of in the country. Yeah. And they usually will have sort of like kind of like what you were talking with your your buddy's family, Jordan, like kind of like farm fresh food. Yeah. And they'll they'll usually have kind of a nice restaurant where they prepare it. And I know like when my parents were visiting the one time, we went and stayed in one of those. I think it was just outside of Siena. But we just had like it was just so I mean it was so scenic and you're kind of just up there in the rolling hills. Yeah. And you're just, you know, eating this kind of farm fresh food that's yeah. just, you know, and you just, delightfully. You just really no, can't no find worries that. in the world, man. Yeah, you yeah, really can't yeah. find that everywhere. So you gotta take advantage yeah. of that. Your ministry also took you to England for a stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you told he told us you were in uh, what was the name of the city? So I lived in Reading, Reading, which is, yeah, very close to it's, London. It's about a 20, 25, 30 minute train ride from, from Reading station to downtown London. Okay. So. How does that compare to living in Italy? Which one did you like more? <laughs> I, ha- um, I hate to pin them against each other, but we, we got to yeah, know. Yeah. Maybe one way I would put it is, you know, 
I mean, being being in the UK felt a good bit more like being in the States, yeah. you know? I mean, there are just a lot of things sort of roughly speaking, the way they work there are mm-hmm. kind of the way, you know, is kind of the way they work here, mm-hmm. you know, and vice versa. Yeah, Italians work different, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, Italy, <laughs> I, I think for better and for worse, it had a bit more of a uniqueness to it, you know? And I think a lot of it was probably just the, if you will, distinctiveness of kind of the Mediterranean world right. where, you know, that, certain things just work kind of differently yeah, there. Yeah, and just the, their own pace, you know? <laughs> yeah, so a funny, a funny example I like to mention is like when I went to the UK for the studies, you know, I sent like my packet of stuff and my passport to get my visa all squared away. I actually realized after the fact, like I sent much more documentation than I needed to because basically as an American citizen, I basically could have sent them my passport and proof that I was entering these studies and that would have been sufficient. sufficient right. Yeah. They just sent it back to me. You know, I just go pick up the card on day one when I get there. No questions asked. Pretty, <laughs> you know, but in Italy, of course, you had this pretty heavy packet you had to send. And there was always this legendary visit we had to the Sojourno office, as we called it in Rome, you know, which. And we had a person at the college who kind of did a lot of this stuff for us there. But still, you would sort of, you know, you'd have to go on the right day at the right time and you'd have to wait in line for a few hours. And, you know, they they'd do all this document stamping and they'd usually tell you that, like, you were forgetting a thing or two. So right. you'd have to go to some other office to get a signature and then you'd bring it. <laughs> but it was... Uh, yeah, you sort of remember some of that stuff. Oh my god, do I remember my first experience with Italy was before I even left. I signed yeah. my contract to go play in Italy. So, luckily we have I don't even know this a story. Detroit consulate. We have an Italian consulate in Detroit. So, yeah. they go, "Okay, you got to get your visa." I think I was supposed to leave in like maybe a month. You got to get your visa, you got to get your appointment set up. So, I'm like calling, phone's not going through. Like, they're like, um, I finally, like, get a hold of somebody. They're like, we're booked out. We have no appointments for two months. And I'm like, okay, I guess I can't leave, you know, because I didn't want, I really didn't want to leave at the time. Anyway, because I was kind of like, you know, avoiding it a little. And I remember talking to my agent and then talking to, like, the GM from that who's Italian from the basketball team. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. These are Italians. Just keep calling every day and tell them that your job and your life that (laughs) – and tell them your life depends on it, and and they'll make it happen. I had my visa – within a week, I had my visa because I had to just keep calling every day. Please, please, I will lose my job. You know, just the drama (laughs) of it, right? It was just like, you know, it was like – that made all the, the difference. Drama. They're like, wow, I feel his passion. Yeah. He really needs this. Let's help him. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, there is something very funny with that. And again, as a sort of, you know, like a, a Midwestern American with sort of, you know, in my case, sort of like English and Northern European stock and yeah. so on, you're just sort of, you've got a certain way of kind of doing and processing right. things and you kind of... You kind of have to let that flex a little bit or a lot, you know, in Italy. And and again, I, you know, I think as I was there longer, I felt like there was something very kind of like humane in a sense, learning to deal with some of that because you just, you kind of had to let go of some of these, you know, preoccupations you had Mm -hmm. with everything just Mm -hmm. kind of happening in exactly this Mm -hmm. sort of regimented order. So again, there was there was a kind of charm to that, yeah. but you know, no doubt, sometimes it was a, a little bit or a lot frustrating. Right, too. right, no, and and we see that we've seen that too in other places. Like you've mentioned, Mediterranean countries. I think like you know yeah. Greece and Turkey for sure. Like airport in Istanbul, like you're gonna run into some of that. Like yeah, oh sure. no, you can't get on this flight. And you know, I think she's had her fair share of having to drum up some drama to. Yeah, now it. I'm like really good at it. I'm already dramatic yeah. to start. So <laughs> I've just had to exercise more, those muscles. Yeah. <laughs> the, the truth is, is more times than not, they'll make it happen. You just got to, just got to, yeah. you got to convince them, you know, it's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you learn, you learn some fun things along the way yeah. about like kind of learning to kind of banter with people a yeah. bit more and sort of play some of the game. I know I, I've got a, a good priest friend who is from Australia and he's working in, in Rome right now, at one of the Vatican offices. And, and he was, I mean, he's about kind of, you know, as obviously not a native Italian as I am, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. 
but but he's he's very good and graceful at kind of like playing along mm. and bantering mm. and sort of you know if somebody tells him no he'll kind of push back yeah. and he'll so jab at him a bit. Yeah. And, and i always enjoyed watching him do it you know because i i was never quite as good at that right but, mm. but but he just does it well and it and you can see how it it plays to his advantage that sounds like us yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure you guys have, like you said, sort of like, you know, earned your stripes and yeah. grown with all this time. Especially me. She's pushing me in that respect because I'm kind of like the, okay, you know, all right. Yeah, yeah that, you know. that's more how I am. I don't want to yeah. cause, you know, too much trouble, you know. It's, yeah. So. so you spend a lot of time in Michigan, which is, I find, interesting. Between your studies, you know, obviously you've had your different stretches. You're back in Michigan now. Mm-hmm. After seeing so much of the world, do you find a sense of fulfillment working with the people in Michigan? Yeah, I do. I do. I like being back. There's a sense being back here that, like, you know, you're you're home, and you know, like I said, in my case in particular, you know, I'm I'm officially with the diocese here, so I was kind of doing those stretches, kind of on loan, so to speak, yeah. you know, or, or for a particular purpose. But there was also always that sense that like, well, I was going to come back here and I was mm-hmm. going to kind of put these things to use here, you know, and put yeah. these things to work here. So no, so I would say I'm, I am very grateful to be back and being around people that I know and love, family, friends, you know, the priests that I have come to to, to, to work and minister with, you know, I mean, all that's all that's very rich for me. Even like in the case of Rome, you know, it really does feel like a second home to me, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I do like having that kind of lively sense that like, well, if I want to go back, I can go back yeah. and I can feel very much at ease there. I mean, I was even thinking, you know, I was brainstorming recently about maybe the idea of like trying to do some sort of trip or pilgrimage there before too long and yeah. Yeah. You know, rally a group. And- we were going to ask you that if you had any future travel plans in the works. I mean, I, I, I do enjoy traveling. I mean, I've, I've got, you know, I'll, I'll do some little things in the States. I mean, I can, mm-hmm. you know, take a bit of vacation as a, as a priest each year. So I'll often kind of do a little trip here or there with like some of my priest friends. I do love just seeing different places and, you know, experiencing different places in a general sense. Mm-hmm. I've got some things I like to do, you know, that that maybe dovetail well with travel. I mean, I like to ski, for instance. So I'll probably try to get some some decent ski outings in here and there. But yeah, I do. I do just love going and seeing different places, you know. Yeah, this, this you might catch sound... the travel bug, yeah. you know, and you just keep wanting to explore new things. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. got the bug for sure. It might sound silly, but when I think about a priest, I don't think about priests going on ski vacations. So it's just like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Most people probably wouldn't. Hey, priests you know, have you guys hobbies have to too. Live. You, know, you guys have to enjoy it. Like yeah, so. well, yeah, it's it's one of those things, you know, where obviously, I mean, I, I try not to be like extravagant or yeah. opulent or anything like that with what I'm doing. But right. I mean, even if you look at like church law, you know, it, it actually specifically says a, a, a priest gets a month of vacation each year. You oh, know, wow. that's uh-huh. actually like there are a lot of other things that are stipulated there, too. Right. That's that's one among a great many. So there is that. And, and, you know, I think there's that sense there that, well, you know, yeah, there's a there's an expectation that you'll be working hard and working diligently, but also that, you know, you need to recover. You need to be rejuvenated like yeah. others yeah. are and do. And, Probably you know, and I, I think one of the things, you know, about being a priest, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not married and I can't marry. Uh, or have a family. So, I mean, one, one thing that does allow for sometimes is a little bit more kind of flexibility. You know, yeah. if I do want to, you know, use my vacation to go and ski for a few days yeah. here or there, right. or no one's stopping like, you know, you. I can kind of do that a little bit more easily right. than, than a lot of people could. That's true. You mentioned bringing all these things back. You always had this sense of bringing these things back home. Yeah. And I'm wondering the lessons and the values that you've gained from your travels, mm-hmm. how have they made you a better minister, a better priest? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think probably specifically with my life and my ministry and everything, you know, I mean, I think one of the big dimensions you can get from traveling, especially having spent time in Rome, you know, is you get you get a sense of like the the real, you know, universality 
of the church, you know? Yeah. So if you're working and serving at sort of congregations here in this greater area, they maybe can often be a, a pretty kind of homogenous group that you're dealing with. But when I got to study in Rome, for instance, you know, I mean, there were maybe like, you know, maybe my average lecture class had like 120 people, but like maybe 30 or 40 of us were from the States. But there were often like maybe 10 from India, 10 from Africa, 10 from East Asia, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 from the UK, you know, so you, you get that sense of like, yeah, this, this really is a kind of worldwide and global thing, you know, and yeah, that unity. And, and I sense. think that that has been helpful to, to me a lot, you know, because, you know, again, I think with, with churches in particular, people can often have this tendency where they kind of, it's kind of their church or their mm-hmm. parish and mm-hmm. they, you know, they grew up there, their grandparents helped build the place or whatever you can. And, and this is not to say this is all bad or something, but you can tend toward a kind of provincial or parochial, you know, mentality. And so I think really having been able to spend time in that broader setting and, and, you know, get to know and interact with people from so many places and hear about what life is like for them, you know, that, that can, you know, that can, that can really go a long way and it can, yeah, really, really help feed and fuel that sense that, yeah, I'm in some, I'm part of something really big here, you know, and Mm -hmm. and so are all these others. Yeah. Yeah. It's inspiring in itself. Well, we have enjoyed speaking with you today and we could talk to you all day. (laughs) Oh, the pleasure's mine. Yeah. It's so great to talk to you guys. (laughs) If our listeners want to get in touch with you, where can they reach you at? Well, I, I don't do lots of social media. I do have a Facebook page that I almost exclusively use for, for sharing memes. You could also feel free to email me. Okay. And my email, which, you know, maybe you guys could post or share. It's just my name, Zachary Maybe, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y-M-A-B-E-E at gmail.com. So yeah. I'd, be, I'd be more than happy if they wanted to email me too. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, man. It was it was seriously a pleasure and an honor. Thank you for joining us. No, thank you guys. The privilege yeah. was mine. Great, great getting to see you here today yeah. and talk to you. And hopefully we'll do it again soon. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for listening to another episode of On Arrival. We've had so much fun recording these episodes and sharing them with you every week. If you like this episode, share it with somebody. And don't forget to subscribe to our show, On Arrival Podcast, on all podcast platforms. We would really appreciate it if you would write us a positive review wherever you choose to listen. And look for us on social media at On Arrival Travel on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're looking for more episodes, you can always head over to onarrival.com.